you can, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We have a long section of Scripture that we're going to go through today, so bear with me. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the, to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, 
Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of a Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. That sends our reading of God's cleansing word. May all who hear it find that they have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. When I was younger, between the ages of 10 and 16, 17 years old, I, I, I had this hobby that I really enjoyed. I, I used to collect trading cards. Baseball, basketball, football, you name it, I, I collected it. You see, I, I, I had this dream that, that someday the cards that I would collect would be worth millions of dollars. Anybody else have that dream as a boy? Yeah, a few of you? Yeah, I was going to retire by selling Shaquille O'Neal and Barry Bonds, right? And Griffey, right? Yeah, and while I do have some that that might fetch a pretty penny today, it's it's a far cry from the millions that I thought I was going to have. But but what makes one card more valuable than another? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it really depends on, on two variables. One, the, card, the card's rarity. You know, if it's a rare card, it's more var- valuable. But two, who, whose picture's on the front, right? And that's what's most important. 
For instance, uh, speaking of Griffey, uh, 1989, there was this new startup company, card company called Upper Deck. And because they were just making their way in the business, they didn't manufacture as many cards as, say, Topps or Don Russ or Fleer. And it just so happened that in 1989, there was this rookie named Ken Griffey Jr. I know at least you've heard of him. Anybody else hear of that guy before? Yeah. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He, he hit over 600 home runs in his career. Um, pretty good player. Uh, but his upper deck rookie card, if you can find one with a 10 grade or mint condition, it now sells for around $2,000. Guess who else was a rookie that year? Luis Medina. Ever heard of him? That's what I thought. He was a rookie for the Cleveland Indians. Come on. He's a rookie the same time Griffey was a rookie. And guess what? You can get his card, mint condition today on eBay for a buck ninety-nine. Now, both cards are just as rare as the other, right? Yet, yet the one has a value that is a thousand times greater than the other. Why is that? Why, why is Griffey worth so much more than Louis Medina? Because his face is on the card, right? But it's not just cards anymore, right? I mean, pretty much anything that is connected with a famous athlete will be up for sale now. I mean, just the other day, they, 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 someone sold sand. The sand from where Tom Brady retired. And guess how much it went for? $99,000. Now, now, is the intrinsic value of that sand worth $99,000? Of course not, right? I mean, you can go down to the beach and get a cup of sand for yourself. You know, I don't know how much gas would cost, but that's how much the sand's worth. <laughs> but but it sold for that much because it is connected with the one who retired on that sand. Someone was willing to pay that much money for that sand. Now, now when we look at a story like this, most of us will come to the opinion that this is just foolishness, right? That whoever had bid that much for that that sand should have their head checked. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But, and, but the, there's, there's, there's a principle there that kind of rings true as well. The, the, the principle of imparted glory. That there are certain things that are of greater worth because they are connected to something or someone who is greater. Look, look, look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 19. Look at the words of our Lord. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
You see, what, what, what Jesus is telling us here is that, is that the reason that the gold and the gift were sacred was because they were attached to things that were greater. But let's take it a step further. I, I mean, the only reason that the temple and the altar were sacred was, was because of who they were attached to. They were built for the purpose of, of bringing people closer to God. And so when you think about it, ultimately, it is God who, who makes these things sacred. And that is the principle of imparted glory. And it is this principle, this principle of imparted glory that will play an important factor in our story for today. Look at, look at back of the book of Acts, chapter 10. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. Here we're introduced to a... Uh, another character. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Here we see Cornelius, a, uh, a new New character in the book of Acts that we haven't seen before. I mean, what does Luke tell us about this man? Well, for one, he's a centurion, right? Within the Italian cohort. I don't know if that means anything to you. A cohort was a group of Roman soldiers. A group that was made up of 600 soldiers, to be exact. And then in each cohort, they would have six centurions to lead them. And so Cornelius was, was a soldier of consider, considerable rank. He, he had command over a hundred soldiers. And, and while this is important for us to know, what, what's more important was that this man was from the Italian cohort, right? Meaning that he was a Roman. He was a Gentile. He, in other words, he was not a Jew. And this will come into play for our story for today. Yeah, how else does, is this Cornelius described? Luke says that he was a devout man, someone who feared God, a God-fearer. And what Luke meant by this was that even though he, he, he hadn't converted to the Jewish faith, even though he, he wasn't circumcised, right? This is what he's getting at. He, he worshipped the Jewish God nonetheless. And he was devout in his worship. Luke tells us that he was generous to the poor and that he had this dynamic prayer life, that he prayed continually to God. Well, God heard this man's prayers and he had sent his angel to him in order to bring him a message. Look at this message. Look at verses three through six. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. 
Now, what I find interesting about these verses is that, is that God would send his angel in the first place. That, that, that he would direct, direct this angel to go to this Roman centurion, a man who was not a Jew. I mean, typically in the Old Testament, when an angel was sent to anyone, he was sent to a Jew. And on the rare chance that, that an angel would be sent to a Gentile, it was usually to give warning or to pronounce judgment. But what did this angel say to this man? Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Those are comforting words. I mean, in other words, God, God has heard these man's prayers. And he had seen this man's good deeds. And, and so this, this God of the Jews was, was actively listening and paying, paying attention to this Roman soldier, even though he was not considered to be one of God's chosen people. And this is important to take note of as we continue throughout this chapter. But what else do we see the angel saying to Cornelius? He, he was commanding him, right? Cornelius is a soldier. He knows what it is to give commands, and he knows what it is to take commands. And, and now the angel was commanding him, send men to Joppa in order to find the apostle Peter and to bring him into your household. And that's exactly what Cornelius did. He sent three of his men to find this Peter. He did not hesitate. He sent them right away. And yet while they were on their way, God was also doing something else, right? He began to prepare Peter's heart for their arrival, for this encounter that Peter would have with these Gentiles. Look at verses 9 through 14. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so here we see uh, another encounter with the divine. But instead of God sending his angel, Peter receives a vision and hears a voice from heaven. And, and notice the timing of this event. When Peter goes into this trance, it is just before these men from Caesarea arrive, right? And when else is this occurring? During, during a time when Peter was very hungry and the meal was being prepared. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I am very hungry, smelling food being cooked only makes me hungrier. Am I right? Well, God was going to use that hunger for his own purposes in order to speak to Peter. For what did Peter see in the vision? He, he saw this, this great sheet being lowered down from the heavens, and it was full of animals of all different kinds. There were birds, and there were reptiles. And that's when Peter heard the voice 
He heard the voice of the Lord say, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now in the book of Leviticus, God had given to his people some dietary restrictions. It's there that we learn that he had deemed some animals as clean and, and others as unclean. For example, look at, look at Leviticus 11, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts of the hoof, whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews a cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews a cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And if you go on to read the rest of this chapter, God, God would say that there are certain sea creatures that are unclean. There are certain birds that are unclean. There are certain reptiles, certain insects that are unclean. That these animals were not to be eaten. And their dead carcasses were not to be touched or handled. But why? Did you ever think of that? You know, why did God declare these animals as unclean? Look, look at the end of this chapter. Look at, look at verses 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming things that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. For I am holy. You see, God had, had put this restriction upon his people for a reason. And the reason was that they were to be a holy people. In other words, they were to be distinct from all other nations. They were to be set apart. And so one way that God would make them holy was by distinguishing their foods. And so he had declared some animals as being clean and other animals as being unclean. And this is what Peter was talking about when he said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. According to Old Testament thought, persons, animals, objects, and even places they, they exist in certain categories. There is that which is holy and there, and there is that which is common. There is that which is set apart for God. There is that which has not been set apart for God. For instance, the promised land was holy, right? It was a land that was set apart by God for his people. And yet when it came to all the other nations, nations like Persia, nations like Greece, the land upon which they lived would have been deemed as common. It would not have been holy land. 
But then there were two subcategories that were also used. There was that which was pure or clean, and then there was that which was impure or unclean. And these things were not determined necessarily by God's choice, but rather they were determined by if they were contaminated or had blemishes. And so something that was holy, something that God had set apart, could suddenly find itself as impure or unclean if something happened to it, or if it was born with some kind of malady. Now, now let's use this logic to help us understand Peter's words. Because Peter had said to God that, that he had never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And what he meant by this was that there were certain animals that God had deemed as holy, and there were certain animals that God had deemed as common. That's what we read about in Leviticus chapter 11. For instance, a, a pig was a common animal, right? It could not be eaten by the Jewish people, whereas a lamb could be eaten because God had set it apart and deemed it to be holy. And yet, say this lamb was born with a blemish. Say it had a strange marking or a deformed leg. Suddenly, this holy animal that had, that had been clean had now become unclean. It was no longer on the menu, right? And that's why Peter said what he said when God told him to kill and eat. By no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, now perhaps Peter thought this was some kind of test, right? That, that God wanted to see how loyal he would be, you know, given his extreme hunger, smelling all that food, and God letting down the sheet from heaven with all these animals on it to, to kill and to eat when he was hungry. Oh, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I, I'm going to stay, stay strong. But that's not what's going on here, is it? For, for God was being serious when he said, kill and eat. I mean, look at God's response to Peter's refusal. Look, look once again at our passage, passage. Look at verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. You see, what God was doing in, in this subtle rebuke was, was fixing Peter's conception of what God deemed as holy and what God deems as common. That what he has declared in the past has somehow undergone a change. Now, now you may be asking yourself, well, how can this be? I mean, do, doesn't this make God fickle? Shouldn't his word remain true for all time. God's word is true, and it does not change. And yet what we see going on here is something different. And what did God say to Peter? What, what God has made clean, do not call common. And the key to understanding this is the words, made clean. And so it's not necessarily a change in God's word, rather it is a change in the animals that God was showing to Peter. They are the things that, that are going through this change, not God's word. And that's because God has now made them clean. 
I mean, ask yourself this question. Why in the past was a lamb seen as holy while a pig was seen as unholy? I mean, did it really have to do with hooves and the chewing of cud? Of course not. These were just arbitrary distinguishing markers. I mean, the one was holy simply because God declared it to be holy. It's that principle of imparted glory that that we talked about earlier. God had attached his name to to animal to all the animals that part part the hooves and is cloven footed and choose the and choose the cut. And if they didn't have all those three things, then, then God did not attach his name to them. And thus they were unclean. And yet now God was attaching his name to these other animals as well. And in so doing, he has made them clean. You see, what, what, what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection was, was more than just pay the penalty for our sins. But he was fulfilling God's law, making holy that which was once common. And this extends to these animals as well. Basically, Jesus had abolished the, the, the dietary laws because he had fulfilled them for us. And now he was making these common animals holy. And this is a change that, that, that will be of utmost importance in what is to follow, as, as Peter will soon be asked to go to the house of a Gentile, to go to the house of of Cornelius. And let me tell you, this will be a difficult thing for Peter to do. And, and that's because it, it wasn't just animals who were deemed as holy or common, but people as well. There were the Jews, God's chosen people, the holy people of God, and then there was everybody else, those who were common, those who were unclean, and the two did not intermix. Look at, look at verses 17 and 18. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. This... This vision that God had given to Peter had just ended, and, and Luke tells us that Peter was inwardly perplexed as to its meaning. Now, now, it's not that the vision was vague or that the words that God spoke were, were somehow garbled. Rather, rather, Peter was trying to put two and two together in order that he might understand the reason for such a vision. And yet, before he could figure it out, these messengers from Cornelius had finally arrived. They had finally found this house of Simon the Tanner. And notice how these men were standing outside the house. They were standing outside the gate. And that's because they knew about these Jewish holiness customs. They, they knew that they would not be welcomed inside a Jewish home. For they were Gentiles. They were, they were not the holy people of Yahweh. For them to have entered that home would have, would have made that home unclean. And yet before anyone could respond, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter once again. Look at, look at verses 19 and 20. 
And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You see, the Spirit told Peter exactly what he would find when he went down those stairs. That three men were looking for him. And what did the Spirit also tell him? That he should go with them without hesitation. Now, now the actual Greek word that gets translated here as hesitation is, is the word diakrinomenos. And it, it means to, to separate or to make a distinction or a judgment. And while it can also sometimes be translated as hesitate, that's not how it is commonly used. And, and given the context of our passage, I, I think a better translation is this. Rise and go down and accompany them without distinction. In other words, don't, don't concern yourself that they are Gentiles, but go with them anyways, because I have sent them. And that's exactly what Peter did. He went with these men to the house of Cornelius. He, he didn't concern himself that, that he would be associating with Gentiles. And that's because he was going, God was beginning to show this man, to show Peter that he has the ability to make clean anything he chooses. Let's see what happens when Peter arrived. Look at, look at verses 25 and 26. When Peter entered, Cornelius met, met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Here we see on full display the, the Gentile roots of this man named Cornelius, right? I mean, we see his lack of a proper monotheistic theology, right? Yes, he was a God-fearer. Yes, he, he prayed continually to the God of the Jews. Yet he, he was still stuck in his pagan ways, believing that there were many gods, all of whom could be worshipped. I mean, if Caesar was a god, right, why couldn't Peter be a god? And he believed that this Peter was more than just a man because the angel told him, bring Peter here. And that's why he fell down and began to worship him. But this, what this does is this highlights for us the amazing mercy of our God, does it not? For, for God had come to this man even though his theology wasn't polished, even though his beliefs concerning God were, weren't perfect. But that's how it is with everyone who comes to Christ, is it not? We have a flawed knowledge of God that can only be corrected when we see Jesus for who he truly is. And that's what Jesus does. He, he, he takes what is flawed, he takes what is broken, and he, he fixes it, making it for his own. And now he was using Peter as his tool to do this very thing. For Peter stops this man in his tracks, informing him that he too is just a man, right? That there is only one God who is worthy of our worship. Yes, Peter has brought a message from God, but he is only a messenger and nothing more. And yet before they would receive that message, Peter would first explain to them why he came. Look at, look at verses 27 through 29. 
And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And here we see these words again, right? Common and unclean. And yet Peter now had a good grasp on the meaning of his vision. That, that it wasn't just about those animals, but it was about people as well. That the things that God has made clean extends to these Gentiles. And that's why he came in the first place. That's, that's why he, a Jew, could be standing inside Cornelius' house. And listen, if it was known what he was doing, he, he would have certainly been shunned by many in his own community. He would have been deemed as, as corrupted and unclean himself. And yet what did Peter say? But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Yes, the ultimate meaning of the vision that Peter had received was now becoming abundantly clear in this man's mind. These Gentiles, they were neither common nor unclean. And now that Peter had explained this to them, he, he wanted to know why Cornelius had sent for him. Cornelius then revealed to Peter the vision that he had, how the angel had visited him, how he had been commanded to send for Peter, and now how they were all here, eager, waiting to hear what it was that Peter would have to share with them. Look at verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. I hope you sense the excitement in Peter's voice. How, how this new revelation that God has given to him expanded his understanding of the salvific work of Jesus Christ. Of the work that Jesus did upon that cross. That even though he, he, he knew that how great his master was in the past, Jesus had now revealed himself as being even greater. That there is not one nation, there is not one person whom God would want to leave out from entering his kingdom. He is not showing partiality. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And that's why Peter said what he said next. For he will share the saving message of Jesus Christ to these Gentiles. He will bring to them the gospel. Because he now knows that God wants them to hear the gospel. Look, look at verses 36 through 43. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's message is pretty clear. And it is the same message that he had been preaching throughout this whole book of Acts. That salvation comes through this Jesus. God had sent his son to the Jews first, and now he was bringing that same saving message to the Gentiles as well. You see, Peter knew that the news of all the dealings that went on in Israel from the days of John the Baptist, throughout the ministry of Jesus, along with his death, and his resurrection, that, that news of these things had traveled outside of Jerusalem's walls, that they had reached Gentile ears. And yet they had not believed because they had not understood what this all meant. I mean, to most Gentiles, a, a crucified and resurrected Jewish man would have been utterly confusing. What would that even mean to them? And so what does Peter say about this Jesus? Well, well, for one, that he is God's anointed, right? That, that he is the Messiah, the one commissioned by God to usher in God's kingdom, to bring salvation to God's people. Two, that, that as God's anointed, Jesus ministered to the people, bringing healing to those who were in need and by casting out demons from those who were oppressed. Three, that, that the powers that be then crucified this man. He was tried, he was convicted, and he was nailed to that tree where his life was given as a ransom in order that the sins of many could be forgiven. And yet God raised him from the dead as was witnessed by many. And Peter stresses this point that God raised him from the dead because it, it was crucial for, their under, for the understanding of these Gentiles. For the idea of a, a bodily resurrection from the dead was not an idea that was embraced by Gentile nations, not one bit. In fact, it was seen as foolishness by most. And that's because in their own pagan worldview, the, the material world, the physical world, was deemed as subpar, corrupted. And so a resurrected Jesus, a, a Jesus who had a physical body, went against everything that they deemed to be good and true. And yet a bodily resurrection is crucial for one to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter stressed this point, saying that he ate with him, that he drank with him, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was witnessed by many, many people. Five, 
that after the resurrection, Jesus then ascended into heaven where he now sits as God's anointed judge over all creation, over both the living and the dead. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Jesus will be your judge on that last day. And yet Jesus is not just a judge, but he is also the only means of salvation. For forgiveness can only be found in him. God grants his mercy to those who believe upon his son. For when he was hanging upon that tree, upon that cross, he was cursed for our sake in order that the curse that is upon us could be removed. In order that both Jews and Gentiles could be made clean through his blood. This is the gospel message. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is a message not only for the Jews, but for all peoples from all nations. It is a message for you. It is a message for me. For God does not show partiality, but he freely gives salvation to any who turns from their sins and trusts in him. And it was this message that spoke to the hearts of both Cornelius and his family. Look, look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard it. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard it. Dear friends, I, I hope you realize how pertinent this verse truly is. How it is written for you. How it is written for me. I, I don't know about you, but, but I am not a Jew. I do not have Jewish blood. I do not have Jewish heritage. And yet because God has made clean that which was once common, I can now call myself a child of God, one of God's holy people. And that's because the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. He produced saving faith on each and every person in that room. That's because God had now chosen them. He had attached his name to them, making them holy. And even though they were once considered common, even though they were once considered as unclean, Jesus had made a way through his blood that they might now be considered among the holy ones of God. And the same goes for you. And the same goes for me. It is through the cross of Jesus Christ that both you and I can be made clean. Can I get an amen from someone? Amen. What was the response of the Jewish Christians who traveled with Peter? Did they say an amen? Look at verses 45 and 46. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They were amazed. 
Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they're hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And these men were astonished, right? I mean, they had the same mindset that Peter once had before he had received that vision from God. That salvation belonged to the Jews. And yet God was now showing them that his kingdom has no borders, right? No borders when it comes to places where the message can be preached. And no borders when it comes to the people whom the Holy Spirit can reach. And this was now an an undeniable fact. For the Holy Spirit had fallen upon these Gentiles. And these folks were now a part of God's kingdom. They were speaking in tongues. Just as as the Jewish believers did on that day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit was, was proving to these men that Jesus came to save the Gentiles as well. And that's why we see Peter doing what he did next. Look at, look at the next few verses. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, as, a, as an acknowledgement that these people were truly welcomed into God's family, Peter commanded that they get baptized. And that's because Peter now knew that God had made them holy. He had made them holy through Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. It just doesn't. Look look at the last little bit of this passage. The end of verse 48, it says, Then they asked him to remain for some days. And we could read over that and think nothing of it. But, but, but this last little piece of our story, it, it's like the, the bow that gets attached to the gift, right? I mean, the fact that Peter and his friends stayed with Cornelius in his house, I mean, that speaks volumes. It, it speaks to this newly formed, united bond that they now had with these Gentile believers, it was, it was a testament that, that God truly had made these Gentiles clean. And it is the same united bond that we have today in Christ that allows us to fellowship with one another. And I want to end on that note, this, this note of fellowship that comes through the saving work of Jesus Christ. I believe the Apostle Paul said it best. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let us pray. Father, We are so grateful that you truly show no partiality. That a person doesn't need to be born into a certain family or into a certain ethnicity in order to come to you and find salvation. But that through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we can all be made clean. And so we ask you this day that you would speak to us. That you would knock down 
any walls of distinction that we might have in our own hearts. And that you would help us to look to your son and find a true unity in him. This can only be done through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.